This is the machination log for May 29th slash 30th. I don't know what day is going to be Monday. Is it Saturday? 30th on Monday. It is and, the Saturday. And May is one of, it's the, the January, February, March, April. May is a 31st. So it'll be the 30th. So I just did a calculation on my knuckles that I didn't need to do because there's, it's not going to be the 31st. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hey. Welcome to the Machination Log. We've got a, an extremely full house here today. Uh, to my left, I've got Mitchell Londrigan. Hello, everybody. To his left, we got Ben Watts. Hi, guys. To Ben Watts's virtual left, we have Thomas Hightower. Hello, hello. To his virtual left, we have Alberto Remy. Hello. And to his left, we have David Paddock. We are here to go to... We're going to be discussing a topic we've talked about before, but we were missing a crucial element, which ironically was half the reason I was even thinking about doing a podcast about it in the first place. Um, Thomas. Yeah. When it comes to murder hobo fantasies or yep. tabletop gaming or role playing where did it all go wrong uh jeez <laughs> uh i mean i think it kind of started out wrong i just didn't notice cuz i was a kid um that sounds uh, that's fair <laughs> too many dice i mean like i it, it's it it, it it was uh it was like fun and kind of storytelling like when we were like a lot younger but like i like so I started I started playing this uh, game called Exalted, um, which like in theory is supposed to be like a bit more like diverse. Like you have skills like bureaucracy and so on and so forth. And like the story is that you're a great hero and your job is to sort of like bring order to the world, so on and so forth. For the um, purpose of background, in case you aren't familiar with tabletop games, I mean this is this is going to be a steep learning curve if you're not. But um, <laughs> Thomas and I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons, like literally everybody does, and in those games, you <laughs> develop your person as uh, someone who's good at fighting in some capacity, uh, yep. murdering either by um, either individually or by backstabbing or by fireballs, and you kill dragons in dungeons and make lots of money and get experience and get glorified for doing so. Enter the entire world of White Wolf gaming, and by extension, yep. is Exalted actually part of White Wolf still officially? Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, White Wolf uh, is dead. It's now called the Onyx Path, um, and most of what they do is they're a professional Kickstarter company. Um, Excellent. That's so. a thriving business right now, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have got a couple of things Kickstarter that were legitimate and successful. Dude, FTL is a Kickstarter. I'm not throwing shade on Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, FTL yeah. was Kickstarter? Oh, absolutely. Oh, Cloak and Blaster was Kickstarter. Yeah. They're no, there are, there are things. Oh, there are things to come out yeah. of. More importantly, wow, FTL? Weird. Dang. <laughs> okay, yeah. back to... But regardless, um, so Exalted takes a different path <laughs> to glory. Yeah. So uh, with Exalted, like, the idea is to sort of, like, recapture, like, this, like, sort of, like, a... Uh, epic fantasy like uh, a la the uh, ramayana or um or a lot of like greek mythology uh where your character isn't an adventurer uh there's somebody who has like basically been born again with an additional soul uh and like all of your in terms of mechanics of what it works out to is that everybody is a mage but their magic is based off of their skills at least for most of the versions of Exalted. So you can have uh, what they call charms that, like, say you're a diplomat, uh, they let you uh, be heard even if there's, like, a big clamor and even if people are trying not to listen to you, right? Or So it's, you... they're super extensions of real-world abilities. Yeah, basically. Um, 
And so, like, all of your uh, your character advancement is actually just improving your abilities and buying new charms. Uh, there's not, like, a leveling system, per se. And what do you do with that? Uh, what do you do with those newfound abilities? Well, in theory, you go about righting wrongs and... Uh, trying to like sort of like build like a better world at least like that's like the sort of conceit of the game um in a lot of cases like you sort of walk around and you make deals and like dabble in politics and the storyteller throws you a couple bones every now and then being like good job good 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 job talking to that guy um (laughs) you you rolled enough dice um oh yeah that's the other thing about the system it's not terribly important but like it's a d10 system so you just roll like a bunch of d10s and then all of the uh dice that come up higher than 7 are counted as successes. For those huh. who don't know, a d10 means a die with 10 sides on it. Yep. Um which is a as Thomas pointed out is a little naggly uh the d20 system is the one that Dungeons and Dragons is normally based on. When you see nerd graphics of a bizarre looking cluster that's not quite a sphere, it's a die. It's got numbers yep. on it. You roll it. They're anywhere between 1 and 20 for catastrophic failure to uh, miraculous success. And there's a lot of infighting about that that needs no further mention here. But Thomas, why is that? Why is the diplomacy of doing backyard deals with mayors and thieves more intriguing than murdering dragons? Uh, I mean, it, it, depends on the, it depends on the storyteller, but like... By and large, I don't know, it's stuff that I care about more. Uh, it's also, like, it It kind of gives you, like, a bit more of a toolkit to play out certain kinds of characters. Um, so if you really wanted to play, like, an obsessively, like, righteous, like, uh, crazy person, you could, like, basically shame people just constantly, and it would actually have something of a mechanical justification. At least that's, in theory, how it works out. Like, in practice, it's... It's kind of just rolling dice, like in a lot of cases. Um, Sounds like a lot of neoliberal, hamby-pamby bullshit to me. Yeah, well, that's the group that I play with, so like that's just going to be the case. All right, um, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, you've never played a tabletop game outside of Fiasco. Um, no, not really. I've played I I've played D and D for a couple hours once. <laughs> oh, was I involved it. in that? No, I was really with, with Roscoe. And uh, how did that go? Me. It was fine. It was fun. <laughs> You've had no inkling, you had no desire to go back and do it. Uh, no, I mean maybe if I got the right people, group of people, and something, but no, I've it's just fun. It out. <laughs> it's just fun to have you here. We have a really dynamic range of experience in RPGs sitting in this room right now. I mean, Ben, your experience is probably more on the computer than it is in real life. Yeah, I I, I find that I have the same problem with. Um, tabletop gaming that I do with video gaming, which is that a good mechanic is not enough to keep me interested, and um, a bad mechanic quickly sours me on the experience. Like, um, like uh, my my primary takeaway from the D&D we used to play in college with uh, Patrick and his brothers, um, and Hav, and Steven, I think. Did he ever play? I don't think he did. Um, I'm not sure if he showed up. Yeah, but... um. With that was game. was like it was like you know like maybe maybe uh, an hour of actual role playing interspersed with like six hours of tedious die rolling combat, which yeah. drove me absolutely batshit. Like it was just not fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I always, I always, I, I feel like having a compelling story is the most important part of any role playing game. <laughs> yeah, and if you, it, it's really, it's and it's hard to be a good 
Like it's hard to find. Like not a lot of people aren't good at compelling storytelling. Like Alberto, are you good at compelling storytelling? Um, I like to think so. At least the group that I was jamming for a while seemed to think so. Oh, did that disperse? Um, it just kind of like broke up after a while because we weren't playing a whole lot, and then all of a sudden it started getting into like, you know, AP exam season and final exam season. And there's actually no time to do anything <laughs> except study in those times. Congratulations on graduating, by the way. Thank you very oh, yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Cheers. <laughs> You're uh-huh. on to the very literal next graduation of your education. So yeah. Good luck with that. Still got a few more. Let's, here's hoping that I make I it there. I never actually thought about that as a, a graduation. Like, what you didn't listen to every commencement speech ever, where they talk. About I that? generally, I generally space yeah, out during commencement speeches. That's totally yeah, fair. Yeah. yeah, I heard a good George Carlin quote at one recently, but um, that was that's all I really remember. Uh, but Alberta, yeah, you so. you've been DMing for not terribly long since you've only been on the street for this particular event, this uh, this gathering of nonsense that we're talking about here. I mean, it hasn't been more than a couple of years at this point, has it? Yeah, no, I've only been I've only been playing D&D, I think, since my... Was it my sophomore year or my junior year? I'm not sure when we started playing. I think it was... Hasn't been my, long. My junior year. Yeah, it hasn't been long, though. What do you like about it so much, since we need at least one person to defend this game? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really just like... Basically, the people that I've played with so far have been really, like, fun people to play with. Mm. Like, you know, the more the experience that I would uh, say playing with, like, David, Hav, Patrick, and Matt and Nick was that it was more like an hour of tedious dice rolling and then three hours of just fucking around with random jokes and silliness. And that's what I really enjoyed about that one was that it felt like it was way less about the playing. It was more just everybody. So it's just, just a social, yeah, yeah it's exactly. like a social experience. Yeah. Lots of jokes about the game itself and like making it fun. And then as far as actually playing with my friends, they were actually a lot more into the, the storytelling and playing. And that made it a lot easier to DM because they wanted to have that really, that fun, good experience. And they were, they were willing to kind of like cooperate and play together, even though that was far too big a group it was like seven people at the highest yeah that's that's far too that many is people. out of control <laughs> seven people is but too many to have around the table they made it as easy as it could possibly be to have seven people who want to play dungeons and dragons so i mean i gotta give them credit for that at least <laughs> that's, yeah kudos to them mitchell what part of this magic do you think you were missing why um, have you not been hooked <laughs> i'm not sure I, I find the the dice rolling tedious as well i don't know we played fiasco couple times and that just seems like a better version of it to that's me, that's going to be the elephant in the room for this okay. conversation <laughs> well um, i mean for a long time dave was working on the system the system uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah which was which promised to do away with all of this tedious die rolling for the most part yeah i, I think at, at some, some points though it, yeah some in of some the versions of promised yeah there more was, it was never really rolling. finalized yeah. i mean i also don't i'm not a big fan of rpgs on the computer either and those take care of all the dice rolling for you because they're all behind the scenes it's just I, it's I, something I, about I, rpgs aren't well, it's just weird because there's this perfect triangulation where we're missing a slice with you because you still read a lot you like, of fantasy You like fiction. the Mass Effect games, right? I have never played the Mass Effect games. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about, you like KOTOR? I've played about an hour of KOTOR. Oh, wow. You really don't like RPGs. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but you are a fan of Brandon Sanderson, right? Mm-hmm. So what's the deal, man? Just about everything by Sanderson. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I do like storytelling. I, I yeah, like being a part of storytelling. I, you're one of the only people that I am, like, close friends with who doesn't have this net. Like, I hate D&D. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I hate that game. 
but I have a compulsion to play it because there's something about tabletop games that's enticing. And it just doesn't... Uh, I'm terribly curious because I don't read the books. Like, R.A. Salvatore wrote a couple of interesting yeah, novels no, at I one never, point. I, I, don't, I don't like tie-in series much <laughs> as a rule. It's, it's like, oh, this is a money grab. I mean, they're not always money grabs. If it's well written, they can they can be good money grabs. Like it can be a money grab with its own value as a story. But I mean, I think during like the nineties, like the like sort of like industry around uh, writing books specifically for Dungeons and Dragons was such that it wound up it wound up like producing like a whole bunch of fantasy series that like wound up being like in certain settings. Uh, But it did seem like the and like Ari Salvatore is a great example, right? Like. like he wrote a lot of books that uh, basically like didn't have any marketing value besides like the reputation of Drizzt Dewarden. Oh yeah, no, he was a coattail writer, and he yeah. kind of remained that. I mean, he's he's still cranking out D and D related material. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's just doing it from the other side. Obsidian Entertainment hired him to do a lot of writing. Really? Yeah, he does the lore for a hand. I forget. There's one specific offshoot of. It's a dragon lancey environment. I don't remember what the name of the game was, but is that Eberron or I don't think it's actually a D and D thing. I think it's a video game specific thing. But no, no they they went on Eberron. That's the book, right? Is yeah, that Eberron's a, a setting the, the, uh, the, 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 the... back in the day when like oh, they had yeah, like discrete yeah, yeah, yeah. like gaming settings. I remember that. Yeah, well, we we played one in the post apocalyptic D twenty. D twenty modern. D twenty modern. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun campaign because I I broke it. <laughs> Actually, D twenty is has been one of my favorite settings to play in, and one of my favorite settings to play with. Um, modern I, specifically. Yeah, modern. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no Dungeons and Dragons. Like we we tried playing it at one point, and I I I couldn't stomach uh, having a cleric who like couldn't talk to people because that doesn't make sense because a cleric's job is in part to talk to people. Yeah. Um, no, and like it. Man, like I, I, I was like kind of down on like Exalted for a while, but when I tried playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons, it was so hard to build a character that was competent at like any of like the suite of skills that like any like person is going to be competent at, like in like their day to day life. But it's not a problem in D twenty modern, and it's yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgot. That's and Ben, we had we got had a good time playing D twenty modern. We had we we kept that campaign. We were at level like fifteen or so, I think, when we quit that. We we kept that going for a while. Yeah, no, it it lasted quite a while. Alberto, have you played in a modern setting before? Um, not yet. No. Okay, so I have a I have a theory about this, and by theory I mean the junk version of theory that everybody knows in our modern colloquialism. It's not actually <laughs> a scientific fact. Um, that the modern setting is just better than the fantasy setting for storytelling. I think you might be right. Because our mythos, the mythos that we have built around the modern world is the one we live in. So all of our social conventions and mores, all that stuff actually fits into the modern setting, even with supernatural elements to it. And the reason I think this is that, as Mitchell brought up already, fiasco takes place almost all the time in modern settings. Uh, Fiasco, for those who are not familiar, is a game that where you essentially make a movie with three to five people. There is die rolling, but it is so peripheral and practically irrelevant that it is almost transparent and it almost seems kind of gimmicky the way that it's put together. But you construct scenes between characters that have relationships and that's it. There's almost no numerical rigor to the game, but it almost all takes place in modern times, except one campaign we played recently, (laughs) movie we did recently, 
where we picked the land of myth, which was a <laughs> setting that was basically just Dungeons and Dragons with a Coen Brothers twist to it. Mm. And it was the lamest fiasco game I've ever played because yeah. it, we, couldn't, we couldn't hit it off. Like everybody had like this idea. Our high fantasy idea is so twisted. Like it's the knight in shining armor. It is the dragon. It's the, like we have this really, and it's really fake. Like this yeah. super fake oh, yeah. mythos surrounding yeah. all this I mean, stuff. It's really hard to identify with it, I think, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, maybe we should talk about this more, but. Um, no, I, I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile thing to discuss. Right. Uh, specifically, what I wanted to say was I feel like it's easier for people to role play, to actually role play <laughs> um, in an environment that's more similar to ours. Like, yeah. Like, and I think, I think to that, ex to, to, to take that a step further, role playing is largely not what D&D is. <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot of actual role playing happening. Yeah, I mean, I've... and there's most a lot of people pick. You know, you pick your character to represent some idealized version of yourself a lot of the time. That's what I think most people do. It's certainly what I did, um, or an alter ego at most. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, like I was a mechanic with an awesome dog in of our D twenty modern <laughs> campaign. Like it, it, it was. Yeah. It was great. Modern just sold me. Yeah. No. It, I, I had a radiated dog that I basically turned into a familiar. And it was like it would do all the things I wanted it to do. It was dope. It was good. It well, was. If we're, if we're we had the freedom about, to do sorry, stuff like that. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Uh, I, well, if we're gonna be talking about modern uh, settings, like I do have to say, like, so like the two games of Exalted that I played that were really like actually very solid both took place in cities, and one of them was basically like a Game of Thrones ripoff. Like right after everyone had read Game of Thrones, um, like that had like one of the best stories in terms of Exalted. But, like, we've also been playing Mage the Ascension, and right now, like, the current campaign I'm in has, it's only been one session, but it's been fantastic so far. Uh, and the entirety of it is me pretending to be a depressed boy genius uh, computer whiz, <laughs> uh, walking around mumbling to himself and talking to ghosts. Um, What's your composure like, skill? What was that? What's your composure skill? Oh, no, Mage the Ascension doesn't have composure. What? Uh yeah, no, it doesn't. It has a. Uh, it doesn't have. No, it. That's uh, like my favorite stat in White Wolf. I know it's phenomenal. Unfortunately, uh, Mage the Awakening is not nearly as uh, much fun as Mage the Ascension is. That um, is a shame. But yeah, no. So it's a. Uh, and no, in Mage the Ascension, it's appearance manipulation and uh, charisma. Same thing with Exalted. Um, Boo. But yeah, he's got a middling charisma and manipulation and appearance. Uh, but. I mean, like, the thing is, is that, like, he just walks around, like, on his phone the entire, the entire time and actually, like, playing out that character in a small town that where he's, like, concerned about, like, uh, real estate problems and, like, inheritance, which is, like, sort of, like, the conceit <laughs> of the game, way more satisfying than, like, any, like, sort of, like, even if I tried, even when I tried to make a character who was just a old-timey fantasy lawyer, um... Or uh, or a vizier or anything like that. Like none of them compare to like one session of just being a depressed guy who lives in someone's pool house, um, uh, and and talks to his ghost friends. It's just that much more real. Well, yeah, no, exactly. Like there's a like there there's something about there's something about like the way that like that character can be sympathetic in a way and like sort of like understandable in a way that makes it so that you don't have to work so hard to make your character into a stereotype just so that they're recognizable, right? Which is, like, the main problem with, like, a lot of, like, uh, role-playing games when you, like, try to play a character is that you have your thing 
and you don't really know how to play it like nuance like without you just being like a dice engine right well, right like, right you, well, mm-hmm. you need to have something to base it on we were actually talking about this to some degree in uh the movie crew review for Lady Vengeance about the Asian, the Asiatic mysticism that tends to be present in those movies. There's a lot more ghosts going on in those kinds of films, and it's fine because they're understood in this sort of metaphysical sense, but they don't need to be explained. And the simple fact that you don't have to explain them because within, I'm, I'm saying Asian culture, and I understand how ignorant and stupid that is, but if, yep. if we're just talking about it, more exotic cultures that have specific points to reference they don't have to explain themselves and that means you don't have to spend five minutes dragging out why there's a ghost here what that means the proper like there are things about ghosts even in america that we we understand that ghosts have as properties that because a movie doesn't have to explain them right we get the benefit of the doubt on that yeah that actually that brings me into like so i was thinking about established settings um we know that we know that ghosts behave a specific way because that's the way we're used to it. And yeah. I, the most, the most, like the campaign that I was ever the most excited about was the one I tried to DM in the Mass Effect universe, which I was really excited. I adore about. that <laughs> campaign still to this day. Oh yeah, by the way. yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's was, for some meta reasons. It was but there I'll was there was there was you. two sessions, and I I I I was really excited about the setting because I was just I I, I love the Mass Effect universe like. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other, this never happened and probably never will, but I've always wanted to play a campaign in the Dune universe. But <laughs> it's hard to find enough people who are on that page who also <laughs> want to play a tabletop game. Um, Mitchell, would you play a Dune university? Dune game? would be interesting. Mistborn would be fun. Mistborn would be fun. Yeah, that would work. Ah. Um, yeah, the Alamancy. Well, I mean, the thing is, you can't all be Alamancers. That's nah. kind of broken. Yeah, you yeah. can. Oh, you, you got specific Yeah, you skills. don't have to be... Yeah. You can't all be misborn. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's right. That's right. That would be broken. Anyway, be broken. so... Mass so, Effect. Yeah, Mass Effect. I love the Mass Effect universe because it's, it's like Star Trek in a way that is really expansive and there's lots of potential ways to go. Like, I think if they make... When they make, make the next... If they made a Mass Effect game with no human characters, I'd be... Like, this is... This takes place in the Mass Effect universe before the humans hit the field. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic! Right? Yeah, because you have you have all these non-human character dynamics. Um, you don't have the humans buttoning in on everything, and you don't you don't have to deal with like. Yeah. I I just I think that would be really good, but I would be really curious to see if they could like actually like do like a story like that though, because like it would be a stretch. Yeah, from what from what I can uh, from what I can remember, basically like every like story has to have like their like sort of conceded like sort of chosen race. Uh, yeah. with Lord of the Rings, it was the Hobbits, um, sure. I guess, or like uh, man, and like it would be very interesting to like be, to like see them like try to write like a story in a setting without having a protagonist uh, species. I mean, you'll notice that Mass Effect bothered to put humans in in the first place. That was an op- they didn't yeah, have to true. do that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they 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 chose to do that, and for perfectly good marketing reasons. I yeah, mean, no, Electronic I... Arts did invent the term midcore. Right, the Ma- Mass Effect is too high value of a yeah. IP to yeah. risk taking a step like that. Like that would be the kind of game that comes out on a, in a from a small studio, yeah. um, like and, FTL, and which my, still screws and, up. And Mass so Effect bad. won't won't ever do that. Um, <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. FTL's humans are just the generic can do everything kind of people. Yeah, if any yeah. game was going to break that mold, that's. 
Yeah, I feel like we should. Yeah, humans are good at specific things. Yeah, it's just like aliens are like grouping up. Aliens have more exotic skills, relatively speaking. So we're gonna be plain and good. I mean, is that like? I don't actually remember much of like if FTL's races did they have a lot of like drawbacks in them because I, yeah, they I did. remember they like the humans were just yeah, worse than everything yeah. else. Yeah, mantises don't have actual hands, so they're so, bad at repairing, but they can mutilate people. No, they had that. Yeah. Rockman oh, okay. rock <laughs> had double health, but he repairs stuff slow. twice as fast. And then yeah, the rock mm-hmm. guys moved slow, and then the blowing people provided energy, but they had it's, a lot. Of it's possible, but right. it's it's just like I've I've complained about this with games that have racial stats for years. First off, the red flag that they're called racial stats in the first place. But just, we use this as an opportunity to exercise our human capacity for exoticism. Like, that much is perfectly clear. The fact that gnomes are basically short Asians um, apparently just never occurred to anybody. Uh, Oh, I always always took them as, like, sort of like a a, a Jewish analog. Like That's fair. Yeah, like uh, like dwarves and gnomes both seem to like sort of like occupy like that same. Dwarves like, are like this weird slot. combination of Jewish uh, and Scottish. Yeah, or German <laughs> or something like that. But yeah, like, yeah, I, no, all I mean, I mean, this completes. Oh, sorry. I oh. took dwarves being more like German efficiency and just building stuff. Well, I mean, I would say this completes the circle if we can name every race in Dungeons and Dragons and say that they're Jewish. <laughs> 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 I think that makes my point for me. <laughs> Doesn't it make yeah. sense that humans tend to be the average, though, because that's where our perspective is coming from? No, it, it makes perfect no, sense. No, I mean it's, it's just it's infuriating. Just, yeah, it's okay. the yeah. it's the easy option. It, it's just yeah. lame that we from a truly objective point of view, like a non-human, universal, I don't know, like entity kind of perspective. You'd be like, yeah, humans are good at this, and the Zerg are good at this, and. Yeah, uh, dwarves are great at this, and you'd be you'd be able to like if you from like a com, uh, a computer mind, an AI, being like, oh yep. yes, this race is good at these things. And but blah, if you blah, took, blah. Uh, but if you set the average to be like dwarves, then humans by comparison would be better at some things and worse at others. It's just where you're setting the average, right? And it's just always set at humans. Yeah, but that like, doesn't mean that humans they're not. are the ones without like stereotyped, like a uh, sort of stereotyped super culture, right? They don't, like, that's well, the, and they're not, they're the yeah, ones we assume that don't dwarves have... are like uh, more homogenous as a race than yeah. humans are. And okay. Oh, well, and that, that that's, that's like a whole my, other, yeah. that's one of the, well, it's one of the simplest arguments in favor of having a modern uh, having a modern setting for the purpose of not homogenizing everything because once you have the context, once you have the little bit of lore of real life behind it, everybody can be a human in a modern game. And funny enough, some of them are strong, some of them are fast, some of them are yeah. smart. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to build that into the stats. I mean, Mitchell, to to specifically numerically address your question, yes, you have to pick a baseline, but in Dungeons & Dragons, the humans just get to pick a couple of stats that they have one more point in. The orcs have plus two strength. The dwarves have plus two constitution. Like, the humans are the only ones who can be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, no, there's there's a sort of, like, seriously endemic uh, Orientalism. Uh, It always feels like all of these ideas kind of come from, like, the 1800s. Like, for instance, (laughs) like, you know, like, there's this idea that there are barbarians out in the woods, and it's okay to kill them because they're bad. Uh, a time I mean, when phrenology was still a legitimate science. Yeah, like there's there's like <laughs> this weird like just the idea of orcs as like a species that like it's okay to kill. Oh, except twist when they have families. Uh, like <laughs> there is something at two. What universe like, is that in? 
That's just, I mean, like most Dungeons and Dragons, the like kind of like uh, has Warcraft that as like a movie. thing, and like um, there's something unforgivable about it almost, <laughs> right? Like and even like the idea of like subverting that, the fact that it's still a subversion rather than no, you you don't go out and just like kill like this group of people. Uh, I don't know. There there is something that like if fantasy were developed today, there's no way to justify that. Mm-hmm. But it is developed today. I mean, uh, they're they're coming out with new systems all the time. I mean, they're, like the fundamental tropes, though. I mean, like everybody's borrowing off of Tolkien and borrowing oh yeah, off no, if, if b- off to Tolkien, I, so, I, but so. the problem mm-hmm. is that's it's so hard to divorce that. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no way to pull Tolkien. There's no way to pull Tolkien out of high fantasy. Like yeah. we can't. Do right. He is high fantasy. Yeah. That is what high fantasy is. It's Tolkien esque. Like yeah. that's one of the reasons Sanderson's books are compelling. It's because he manages to do fantasy without relying on Tolkien's tropes. Um, he develops different systems of magic that are logical to some extent. And um, yeah, yeah, no, and, and yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, that's that's all I have. That's one vote for uh, Brandon Sanderson. No, he's, he's two votes for Brandon Sanderson. Two votes for Brandon Sanderson. He is a Mormon. One vote against. One vote against. (laughs) It's not like we we haven't compromised on like Mormon authors before. This is true. This is true. (laughs) He's Uh, prolific, which I appreciate because there's a lot of authors that aren't. (laughs) Yeah, Alberto, waiting for that book three of yeah King Killer Chronicles. I don't even think about it because it's a waste of time. Alberto, are you going to carry the torch of tabletop gaming to college with you? I certainly want to. Yeah. Where are you going to school? USF. Okay. Cool. That's a solid school. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's a lot that I still, like, want to do with tabletop gaming of all sorts, but especially with, like, Dungeons & Dragons, I know that that I had a lot of stuff in the campaign I was jamming for a while that I wanted to bring up that I never got to, and maybe I can make that its own campaign, sort of. I can kind of restart it. Okay, you got to make peace with not being able to tell every story that comes into your head. No, I know. I believe me, I know that. Yeah, yeah, big time. (laughs) <laughs> like, cause yeah, your 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 players will just fuck up your story big oh time. <laughs> you you will you will learn. You'll over. have this grand vision, and it's gonna be great. That's I don't that's think always... I'm never gonna be running a game again. <laughs> I swear to God, my last one was just so terrible. And that, if I was to run a game again, I'd be like, here's where you are. What do you guys want to do? Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's Ben. The the thing that made me most fond of that Mass Effect one. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but it was it was the moment when he was setting up. It was during our second play session. And we were moving toward this cargo hold, and he was describing it was either a vehicle or something we were coming across. And it was amazing because I watched his eyes glaze over <laughs> as he got, as he realized just the sheer joy of creation, just about to run into the freight train of role playing <laughs> games <laughs> where everyone around him couldn't give less of a shit about how amazing what was going on in his head. Like, and mind, I'm picking on you specifically, Ben, because because you were brand new to DMing. Yeah, so no, it was, was the first campaign I ever tried it, to DM. I was, uh, as I do with many things, I bit off more than I could chew. Um, no, you you did a fine job. It was just it was just amazing to be able to see that moment where you were like, I can't let you have this. <laughs> like I can see it in your eyes. It's like this is why authors don't do work collaboratively. It's yeah, like this is yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you really have to divorce yourself from any kind of investment in your story. Well, you can invest <laughs> in it. It's just you have to it takes practice to learn what your PCs in their solipsistic 
gold mining heads are willing to put up with lore wise. Yeah, you got a bunch of fucking looters playing the game. Yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. I just want gear. I'm like, no, go away. <laughs> <laughs> you go just you, you get a bunch of gear and then you die. I'm sorry. There's another door in front of that vault. <laughs> and even if you remove gear, like there's still like the whole well I want to progress the plot. Let me let me fix the problem. Uh, oh no, is this the problem? Fine. I shoot that. Yeah, exactly. Was that the problem? That's that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's that's precisely. Yeah, I think I had a vision of like I, I you played some Kotor, right? Yeah. In that game and Mass Effect, you played Mass Effect. I you, did. You get your own ship and you get to go anywhere. <laughs> and I wanted to explore that, and I think that was what happened. Is there was a ship, and I was like, you guys yeah. should take the ship. And that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. And then nobody's like, I don't want the ship. I don't give a shit. That's, I don't give a shit. That's the closest to uh, the closest to the the perfect utopia that I screwed up by using democracy rather than dictatorship when setting up the game. Uh, I wanted to do a campaign with Alberto and crew set in 1985 where they're all on a farm a bunch of miles west of Manhattan when all the lights go out. Because that's super vague and it fits into the... And basically, they would all be... It would be five people in the party and they all have... They're all skilled, but they all have the same skills. Mm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so they have to find other people Nobody's with the skills that they need because they're all just a bunch of farmers. <laughs> and were you willing to roleplay all those things? No, and, but that's, that's the thing. You guys would. Parts? I, I think this would have been a perfect. I may actually try to do this at some point because it's just there's something there's something I really like about this idea where you're forced to differentiate between five fighters. Yep. Like they're. And I force you to make them interesting because you can't all do the same thing. <laughs> and you will you will naturally you will naturally fall into like I <sighs> that should probably I should probably make that happen. I'm not gonna make that happen though, because I'm done p- playing tabletop games now that I found Fiasco. I think it broke me. Mm. <laughs> Fiasco's pretty good. Ugh. Yeah, I haven't I haven't but played anything in I think since the majority of you guys left from graduated and I stayed at UF. You gotta have people around that want to. Yeah, no, nobody I hang out with now wants to play tabletop. It even thinks about D and D and it's like one of those things. The current group of people, if I were to mention it, they'd be like, What? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, it's just something that people do sometimes. It's fun. It can be fun. Come on. <laughs> I still think I like I still think that I do like D and D more than Fiasco though, only because I I think I do like what D&D offers, because I feel like Fiasco, the biggest problem that we had when we did the the fantasy Fiasco game was that we all just had to be, like, normal people in a fantasy setting, which none of us had ever, like, done before, because that's not how any other game, like, role-playing game that you play regularly works. It's always that's you're fair. the hero. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really hard to go from being the hero to being Dave the Farmer. And actually trying to roleplay how Dave the Farmer would feel in, like, the Middle Ages or whatever. I feel like the hero aspect of a lot of roleplaying games is the problem. Because yeah. most people aren't heroes and wouldn't know how to be one if the opportunity fell in their lap. Well, interestingly I- enough, like, in our uh, first D20 Modern campaign, uh, like, one of the players, his character just left. Um, <laughs> I love like, when players do that. I think it- that shows tremendous um, narrative discipline. Yeah, yeah, no, it was incredible. I'm so, not like, going to participate in this anymore because my character wouldn't. Would not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she she moved to Urbana to like live with her aunt because uh, there's a guy who is trying to hire her into a secret paranormal agency, 
and he kicked down the door, so she called the cops, ran down the fire escape, and, like, waited, and then left the town. <laughs> Do you ever have, in any of your campaigns, somebody turn out to be the villain, or somebody... That's really hard to set up. Yeah. That's okay. one thing you may have been spoiled you'd, you'd on have... Fiasco with. You can get away with that in Fiasco. Well, does anybody here watch Community, or have you watched Community? No. Yeah. Okay. There's an episode where they play D&D, and Pierce ends up being the villain. It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. The but. only way you can do that is for the DM to set it up in advance, and that tends to kill some of the surprise. Gotcha. Um, right, because the DM has to be in communication with the PC. Incommunicado, and, you know, that leads to some singling out, and you have to make sure that things, you're, the cards get played right, or it won't come. It's, it's just weird. This is, again, this is where... Where also fiasco only taking two hours is important because in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or in an Exalted campaign or any of these, they've got to last a while. Yeah, like they don't generally they don't end up being one shot affairs, which ends up doing some serious not damage to the narrative, but it puts serious limitations on what you can talk about. Because yeah. unless you are willing to be the kind of I mean, and I try to do this for the sake of the DMs I play with, I I consider all my characters expendable. Uh, which I think tremendously improves the quality of the stories you can tell around them. Yeah, if you can do shit that would actually kill you for yeah. real, and you're not going to be like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> well, it's, it's fun. No, I will I will stumble into those situations, Not maybe not deliberately, but I just have a more devil-may-care attitude about them because it makes them more fun. Yeah. But yeah. generally, the stakes are too high, and if you get attached to the characters the way that you're supposed to because these characters, like Ben, like you said, their ideals alter egos. Right. I mean, you lose a little bit. Of, it's you metaphysically lose a little bit of yourself when they die, and that's. I can see where that becomes a problem. People are very precious about their characters. It's one of the first things you have to learn in Dungeons and Dragons, is to not be so attached to your character as to make them insufferable to other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's mean, a, that's yeah. a hard lesson to learn. Most, most. Yeah. There's an entire culture around it. Right, like the whole like idea of like the Mary Sue and so on and so forth. Like we have like all of these like sort of like cultural like programs that you're supposed to like bump into to, like, to say tell nothing you, of the no, Munchkin. Stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, say, yeah. I mean, there are entire tropes within Dungeons and Dragons that revolve around the fact that we have this neurosis about our characters coming across as either uncool or not powerful. Yep. Um, and that's that's really hard to get over. Because yeah. this is supposed to be a fantasy. We're yeah, supposed I mean, to be acting cool. That's the point. Is it's a fantasy, you know. It's supposed to be better than real life, and if it's not, it's not as compelling or worse. Or it's just worse. supposed to be different. Yeah, I mean, some people <laughs> yeah. have fantasies. Well, no, that are th- see, bad. Mitchell, that's. I'm glad that that's the way that you reflexively approach it because that makes it way more fun. But that right, isn't yeah. the way most people approach yeah. it. This is why it's in, a valid approach. It's, it's just not common. It's yeah. why in the worldwide box office, happy, happy movies about underdogs overcoming insurmountable odds always do better because you that's what you want to see people like happy endings yeah people like things to resolve because a lot of things in their lives don't resolve right Titanic that's why i like kids movies because they're simple they're simple and like things are good and everything (laughs) is good and people do the right thing and fuck that yeah if somebody does the wrong thing they always die in the end but it's okay because they were doing the wrong thing they don't always die, but they suffer some humiliation. Karmic backlash. A lot of evil queens yeah. have died at the hands of Disney, though. <laughs> so basically, what I'm saying is, I don't like any of that because my life's too good for happy endings. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. My, it, it's I watch a kids movie like once every couple, every six months or so, and that's my quota. 
Because sometimes I'm just like not feeling great about things, and that's what you want in that kind of a circumstance. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I only watch sad movies when I'm happy, you know? <laughs> I know, how fucked up. Like, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I love that that's how it works. I'm only going to watch a really depressing movie if I'm in a good mood. Like, that's the opposite of me. I'll only watch a really depressing movie if I'm really depressed. Oh, I see. That sounds com- like a <laughs> compound. That doesn't that sound good. dangerous. <laughs> Just try that's and tend towards the middle. You're, you're going for constructive interference, and that's that's the positive feedback loops yeah. going on in here. It sounds dangerous. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone here seen The Revenant? I have uh, not. I, I've I've just the Leonardo DiCaprio ness of that movie has made me not want to see it. Oh, but the but Tom Hardiness. <laughs> oh, is it good? Holy shit! Nobody man. even talks about his character in that movie. It's so good. Okay. It's so good. All right. Oh my god, the movie's <laughs> insufferable. But man, is it. Oh. I've managed to make it this far without even knowing what the Revenant's about. Is the that Revenant, too far afield, or the, the Revenant? Uh, is I'm pretty much bears? on the same page as you with that. Bears. It's about a guy who's in the woods and he's so, angry about so things and maybe sad. <laughs> okay, so, so the That's, Revenant. So I that, saw the previews. <laughs> so the Revenant. The Revenant is a movie starring Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy about a bunch of trappers in the Canadian wilderness. And one of them gets mauled almost to death by a bear. And then you have to spend two hours with him while he tries to and only barely survives. Oh, no, this is actually based off of uh, Hugh Glass then, right? I have no idea. Hugh Glass, he was a trapper. uh, Oh, yeah, no, maybe. I don't know the name of the guy. I don't remember. My memory's not that good. But man, this movie is so hard to watch. It's the perfect... (laughs) It is the perfect cross-section. It tests your will. In the, There's a dichotomy that a lot of people have morally between suffering and death. You either pick suffering or you pick death. This is the abortion question. This is the poverty question. This is all this. It's, and in this movie, it tests to the limit how much it is okay for this man to be alive <laughs> at any given moment. Because you just, you just want him to give up <laughs> so you can stop watching him torture himself. Wow. So when you're in a great mood, Ben, I highly recommend. Yeah, yeah that's 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 gonna have to be saved for kind of a red letter day. Oh. I, I don't know if I'll be in a good enough mood to watch that movie for years. It's, and Tom Hardy's performance in it is unbelievable. Is he the bear? He is not. <laughs> <laughs> he is not. But he plays this hick douchebag, which is the exact opposite of who he is, and he does it perfectly because Tom Hardy is He's the great. best actor of our generation. But enough about him. I actually haven't seen him in anything. Cause you have. Watch. Have I? You wouldn't recognize him. He's an amazing uh, actor. Oh, I see. So, wait, is he the guy who delivers my mail, is my question. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And all of the above. Cool. Mad Max. That's I, him, right? Yeah, he's yeah. Mad Max. The new Mad Max? Yeah. 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 I haven't seen Mad Max, He's Mad Max. Actually. Oh, you should see that. That he's one's good, too, because it's got Tom Hardy in it. real good. He's in Inception. That made Inception oh, wow. better. he is in Inception. Yeah, is he, he is. You don't know where he is. He's Bane. This movie where he's... He's the best part Wait, of Dark Knight what? Rises. Yeah. He's Bane. He is the best part of Dark Knight Rises. God bless. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, the best part was the uh, trial scene with what? Scarecrow. I wouldn't have made it that far uh, without Bane. That's, yeah, that's true. Nice. Um, <laughs> isn't there a movie where he's got, like, a mustache? Almost certain. Revenant, because we were talking well, about... Mitchell was... Yeah. Well, I was going to oh, say, yeah. so are your are your biggest problems with, with traditional D&D then, uh, I guess the, there's three main things, is what I took with this. It was one, the setting, that it's too divorced from our experiences, so it's hard to actually roleplay. One, that's uh, very good. Two, the, the 
the dice rolling. It's too Two. tedious. And uh, I had a third one. Um, had to do with DMing or story, maybe. Maybe uh, the um, fact that like everybody like kind of has to win, and like the narrative yeah. has to follow like a certain path in order to like be. Yeah. satisfying so you need to be challenged in a very particular way you need to the, succeed in a very particular way the gating like, of a fantasy that's yeah funny. it's it's okay. comic booky right like we're like you know like the comic books like uh like don't know exactly when they're going to end but they know that they want to keep the show rolling so like people keep coming back from the dead and like you yeah. know like the thing that was insurmountable mm-hmm. is now surmountable i tried making a game where like they like basically didn't have any other option but to lose uh, or to like pull off like a very like minor victory, and I had to fudge it a lot. Well, um, I mean, I didn't think I'd ever have to say these words in a row. But in comic books defense, they have tried. <laughs> they have tried to defy those stereotypes in not even recent time. In the last, it know. depends on the comic book. I, from what I've read, uh, the uh, I think you've seen the Hellboy movies, right? I have, which are awesome. Yeah, are. Um, I agree. But I guess the comic book has never been reset like a lot of comic books have since it first started in the 90s it's been continuously uh Uh, probably probably a product of the fact that it started late enough i didn't know it was that young of a franchise i think it's pretty young i think it's the 90s i don't know if anybody can confirm that that we don't um but they never reset anything it just keeps going so everything bad that's happened that still happened it's still part of the history still Um, can still can that's the that's the same with Sandman, right? And uh, even, like, I was thinking about this, like, Sandman and Avatar The Last Airbender both, like, have this, like, yeah. thing uh, that you don't see in most comic books and even, like, most, like, cartoons and most, uh, like, TV shows, which is that you block out the ending first, which means that cost is allowed to persist, right? And, like, you, like if you know that the story is going to end, right, then, like, it becomes a lot easier to sort of, like, tell a full and detailed story. Um, Oh, Every- that's, that's always, I, I kept running into that the first bunch of times I played D&D, and I still actually, regardless of system, I I kept forgetting as a DM that I can end the game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> actually, like I can just make an end to the game. That, that's a lot of, I feel like a lot of franchises suffer this. Um, uh, the Walking Dead, I think. If, if I don't know if you watched The Walking Dead. I watched the first season and I couldn't make it any farther. Yeah. Yeah, um, same. <clears throat> that's acceptable. The second season sucked. Um, I, I've watched it enough to appreciate how ingenious it is by design. Yeah, it's it's really kind of stalled out because of the lack of a serious overarching I would say Game of Thrones theme. has done the exact same thing. Yeah. Oh, well, I have well uh, yeah, they haven't. They haven't. So HBO has far... not said they're going to end Game of Thrones at season six. I they're going to keep milking it if they can. Well, and they have to keep it. it going, right? Because like yeah. we've still got like two or three books left, and there's no way they're going to do two books in one season. They could end the show before the books get finished. That I would be that how many books are left? I thought there was one left. There's two. No, left. there's two. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Uh, okay. If you, uh, I don't know if anybody here watches anime, but if you know uh, Full Metal Alchemist, yeah, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the original series started airing before the manga had finished, mm-hmm. so they just made their own ending. So like halfway through, it it stops following the manga and just does its own thing. So then they remade it a couple years later with FMA Brotherhood, which follows the manga almost completely. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I think that's what they're going to do with Game of Thrones too. If they pass. They've passed the books in some storylines. I think they'll just keep doing their own thing until they finish it. An example that springs to mind 
for a story with a defined end was uh, Battlestar Galactica. Unfortunately, it ended too late. Like they could have, they should have wrapped it up like a. Should have killed everybody. They should have wrapped it up a season, or they could have done that. But Battlestar Galactica was a great show, but it ended, like, it was just a continuous downhill. Like, the first I don't know if has any you guys seen? Yeah, yeah you've great. seen it. Have that's you seen it, Thomas? That's about it. The what? Sorry. I've you been used... told to. That's about it. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. Um, the first miniseries, like the, it's, it opened up with like a six, like a six-hour miniseries. It was like or... I've actually never seen the miniseries. I've just seen the season proper. Oh wow! Yeah, you need to watch that I a know. lot. It's yeah. better than everything in the whole show. Yeah, <laughs> like that was like the pilot for Battlestar Galactica, and it was it's where like everything happens yeah. where Earth gets destroyed and the show. Spoilers! Just, it's just jeez. <laughs> You'd be spoiled <laughs> in the first two episodes, um, but it's everything gets Skip worse from two. there. And the the oh, they're not on Earth; they're trying to find Earth. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's like the defined end of the show is that we're gonna find Earth. Um, and you know they get there, but it takes forever, and a lot of the development <laughs> along the, a lot of the story along the way is just like too much. Like you're trying to fill these shows up. Um, I think the first two seasons are paced really well and pretty good. It's no, just I the agree. third season is where it bogs down. Yeah, it bogs down pretty heavy towards the end, and it's a waste of time. And yeah. I, I think that's a probably uh, we could we could talk about a single difference between uh, RPG like tabletop game plots and other fantasy media is well, the lack of a defined. Yeah, a lot of TV shows end. don't have a lack a defined end when they start. They just keep going. That's one. Yeah, thing Yeah, TV that's, shows, uh, but but books. Yeah. By their very nature, to some ex- to you know, to some extent, uh, barring a couple exceptions, barring some exceptions, have to end like. Well, right. and they also don't need as many like sort of like guideposts, so you don't need to get better at anything if you're a, a character in a fantasy novel. Right, you can just be well, like a farmer who, at some point or another, like gets caught behind enemy territory and there are demons, and he gets a little bit cannier and he makes better decisions, which isn't something that happens in role playing games by and large. I I tried to make a game where like that like was like something that you had to do was sort of figure out like the internal logic to like this like thing and like it was actually really hard to do over this over the course of like you know like one meeting a week for like a handful of months. That would be an interesting mechanic where like early on in the game every x number of decisions your character makes a random number between a certain range. Uh, your character actually does the opposite of what you're trying to do <laughs> because he makes a stupid decision. Um, you're supposed to deal with, you're supposed to throw that in yourself. Yeah. That's called the walking dead wrench. Oh yeah. That's okay. what makes that show ingenious. Oh my God. I'm not sure. You're going to have to actually explain to me exactly what you're talking so about. So in the walking um, dead, they develop personalities for all the characters and then deliberately defy them at fixed points. Yeah. Yeah. That's an ingenious way to get people to talk about it. Yeah. Like it that's sucks, that's though. the whole no. It sucks shit. That's why I don't watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I caught it in the first season. It's like that's a really smart way to keep people watching. Um, it's what they tried to do. in if you ever watched Heroes on NBC, nope. oh and that's God. that's no. a show that went downhill I, fast. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say don't yeah. don't pretend that that's like a deliberate thing. Like no. Heroes yeah. was basically just like it horribly like visibly seeing sweat pour from the pores of like 20 frightened writers <laughs> yeah the first uh, season was first great awesome. oh then... yeah no the first season was fantastic and then like everything after that was like it it was like a game that had been patched so many times and all of the <laughs> patches built on each other so that there was like this complex rule system 
they would get updated like next month and only spoke in reference to the prior three patches. Yeah, it was it was bad. Siler and Peter and Claire switched whether they were good or bad like twenty times in the yep. between the second and fourth season or whatever. Yeah, that's that's, that's probably an abuse. Alberto, do you watch TV? Yeah. <laughs> not a whole lot of series. Um, not really. I have I haven't watched Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or those shows. Well, that's good because you're not old enough for those anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a patronizing thing you say. I know, right? No, actually, the question I was going to ask you. That's fine, Alberto. Now that cartoons have fully just Cartoon Network has fully invested itself in the Japanese pace. Does anime hold any specific appeal for you? Um, there are some shows that I've watched that I like in anime, if that's what you mean. Like some of them actually look pretty cool. They look very interesting to me. I'm just I'm just curious because anime anime appealed to our generation, not that you're that much younger than we are, but actually I guess you are. You're nine, s- you're, you're nine notably, years younger. Notably younger. Only What's the younger, decade? Yeah. But a lot of the appeal of anime was that even when cartoons hit Ren and Stimpy, there was a degree of artifice and flair to anime that was not present in our cartoons. Um, from the even even from a storytelling perspective, like yeah. they were willing to get involved in some silly ways, and that was appealing. Um, and I'm just curious if that's still the case. Um, again, I haven't actually watched a whole lot of ones that have come out like recently. It's just that I get a lot recommended to me by a bunch of friends and they show me like little clips every once in a while to entice me further to actually go and like look for the shows or whatever. But I really do like how some of them look mainly because what I, what I like in shows like that, um, in the animes that I've gotten interested in watching is that they have really cool, like fight scenes and stuff in them yeah like that's a lot of the appeal of anime that's that's Um, what i like a lot is that they can like do that and they can make it so cool and like yeah that quality's persisted Um, i mean for that's always what i've avatar last airbender they outsourced the animation to a korean studio even though it's an american series they didn't do the animation in america yeah but anyone looking at that would mistake it for animu I've actually still never seen that series. I haven't had the time. To watch good. Good. I can't yeah. guarantee That's what I've heard. Well. Uh, yeah. It was really <laughs> impressive when I was in high school. Uh, is that how old it is? What's that? Is that how old it is? Yeah. That's yeah. No, it's no. It was around. Uh, I think the final, the finale for the first like sort of like run of Avatar, which was uh, concerning Aang. Aang, ended. I think either a junior or senior year. Uh, and then Legend of Korra picked up, I think, like three years ago. Wow. Um, okay. Wow. Okay. Those are all. Those are older than I thought. Um, Why haven't we played any anime RPGs? Uh, it sounds horrible. A lot of them are crappy. To franchise RPGs. <laughs> I well, no, like, like when you, whenever you find like a franchise RPG, like you look at it and you think, oh. You're just really hoping that I, yeah, I think that I can be Tyrion Lannister. It's like franchise. Uh-huh. It's franchise. It's like franchise fiction. It's, no, no, no. no. I just, grab. I just mean D and D in the Japanese style. Oh, so exalted. Kind of. Is that what that is? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the athletics feats, like allow for you to, like, you know, like jump, you know, sixty feet into the air and like balance, like on like a tree branch, and like martial arts are like a big thing. So, like, you know, they're competing different martial arts styles. Uh, and like, there's all kind. Of, yeah, you know, it's it's very anime inspired. Thomas, I have talked to you about Exalted for 
dozens yeah. of hours. Uh-huh. And you have never made that comparison. Oh, really? Not once. Oh, yeah, no, no, the no the uh no the uh I I would say like anime or like kung fu movies, there's mecha. There's magic mecha. Jesus fucked Thomas. <laughs> it's not it's not important. It's it's never been relevant to like, any of the games that relevant. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, it is relevant. I'm disappointed in this. This would have cleared up a lot of misunderstandings about what this was. Really? I believe so. Oh. No, because now I have a context. Now I know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you. Now I can imagine. <laughs> now I have a visual reference for what the hell you're saying. Yeah. Now uh, we have to rehab all those conversations because I don't remember them. I, I don't care to remember them. That's I, I fine. We might. don't ever have to talk about Exalted again. Okay. Oh, Back, I had, a, I had a thought about why we don't play anime-themed RPGs. Because, like, most of the characters I've seen in any anime, with the exception of very few, are, like, inherently unrelatable. I feel like that's the case. That's fair. That's pretty fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's nobody's like, yeah, Vegeta, I totally get him. Well, we're not Japanese. Well, I feel his pain. That's Yeah, that's the, and that's why. I, I also want to be a Super Saiyan. Well, yeah. To be fair, like, DBZ's a really tough sell. Yeah, no, I, I, that was just the best example. It was the quickest example that I yeah. could think of, but... Aaron Yeager. Like even even some of the better animes, <laughs> anime shows like like my standouts are are Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Champloo, which are by the same guy. Um, yeah. uh, like those characters are pretty like mysterious and reserved. Like they have all this shit going on that you don't get to know about, and it's just sort of like hinted at sometimes. Um, they're very. Actually- Capo Bebop's a little bit different though, right? Because like Spike Spiegel's it's, Dark Past is like Yeah, it's 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 explicated. one of the cent- that that it's is the central theme, I think. That's the overarching plot of Cowboy Bebop. And Cowboy Bebop is like it, it would be the, the, the most relatable of the animes yeah. I've seen, in my opinion. But I I feel like it still has elements of, of that unrelatable like character behavior. Like like um What's the the androgynous person who's good with computers? What's her oh, name? Oh, Ed. Ed, yeah, Ed. I don't know her entire name, but yeah, Edward yeah. Pompowski, something, something, the third. Ed, Ed, Eddie. Edelson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Edie. Yeah, no, it, it's always N, Spike, or, or no, U. It ends with oh. U. When you watch it in Japanese, it's like they all their names are American names with a syllable. I don't know you yeah, no. You just throw you and it's like with Spanish. You add an O at the end. You add you, you add U's between all of the syllables. It's because no Japanese words end on hard consonants. It's like they, they, they don't do that. That's no, that, good. That show and, and Samurai Champloo were really good. Those are my favorites. But um, but you I, wouldn't play a Samurai Champloo table RPG. So. I would play a Samurai feudal Japan what, like Legend game. of the Five Rings. Uh, maybe I don't know what that is. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but like a feudal Japan with with maybe a slight supernatural element to it, but it would have to be very context appropriate. Um, I, I think that could be interesting. You just don't like magic, do you, Ben? <laughs> Look, I don't. Maybe not. Well, I mean, granted, I hate magic myself, so it just seems is... very arbitrary a lot of the time. It it is. That's yeah, that's yeah. almost by definition true. Yeah, I think that's yeah. one of the things that I've noticed a lot with. Um, like the difference between more modern and more like old timey RPGs and like um and all that sort of stuff is that 
in like the modern setting, because we have so many more options of what we like know we can do because we've established, yeah, these are rules. This is the technology that we know solidly how it works, mm -hmm. at least to some extent. And then like, you know, magic is just kind of like a sweetener for that. Cause like, oh yeah. And sometimes you can like lift up a rock with your mind. Pretty cool. But like in the more old timey sessions, because you don't have those same options, just magic has to do so much more because it has to fill in every blank to give you options that aren't just hit thing with sword and then raise your shield. Like there's so many, there's so much more options in more modern settings. And as yep. opposed to the old time where like magic has to, has to be there because if it's not, it's not fun because there's nothing fun about like, because medieval times were not fun. Exactly. There was nothing <laughs> fun about those times. Other than murdering people for the king. That still wasn't probably very fun unless you had like the barbarian. I mean, the people if you were, actually the people spotted that. probably would, were not having a bad time. Um, I mean, if you were winning. Yeah. If you were uh, a knight. That's true. Yeah, you murder or yeah. you get murdered. It's, it's, yeah. It's a little, and you get some land. I mean, yeah. yeah so I, I mean, I'll draw you the picture. You're on a horse. You have metal armor on. I'm on a horse. And you're the only person for two miles with metal armor on. <laughs> but there are a lot of people in that two mile radius. <laughs> And someone told you they all need to die so that you can have all of that two-mile radius to yourself. The king will take, like, a little bit off the left side. But <laughs> other than that, it's all yours. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, you uh, have been trained since youth to love harming other people. <laughs> I guess it's true. But then you, when you have to uh, play the role-playing, you have to, like, share that with people. Oh, in the context, It has to yes. be, like, five people in armor with no, with nobody in armor for two miles, and that's just not as fun. That's true. Gotta, like, we need share we need one-on-one D&D campaigns. I don't know that I've heard of anybody doing that. Uh, I like tried a, like one a in middle school. One, one PC and one DM. <laughs> yeah. That does sound potentially engaging. Uh it I sounds think romantic. That yeah, it wasn't right. great. It was with it, Brent it'd be actually. Good, it'd be, it'd be uh, the right person would be a great date. Um, <laughs> yeah, Thomas, you've done one with Brent. Yeah, I did. Well, because I wanted to DM because because I was a kid and a dumbass, um, and I thought that was that was <laughs> as a, we all a good once thing. were and, uh, and will be again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like, I, I did play a I, I did play like uh, like I think like one session. It it was like terribly abortive and like not like really like representative of anything. But I did do that, and like most of it was me saying something and him like staring across the table at me and saying, "Oh." So I try to open the door. Uh, the door is locked, but here's a puzzle. <laughs> I unbutton my shirt. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh, no. Our relationship would have been really different if that had been like in play at all. Uh, that would have been, been all right. <laughs> Anybody got anything else they want to cover? Um, mm. Is that the HyperX cloud? Uh, yes, that's what those are. Yeah. What? Sound quality is pretty what? good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have oh, pointed out. His there. headset. <laughs> okay, that's what we're talking about now. Huh. Gear. I think I think that's Gear. probably... Yeah. I'm, I'm in the market for a new headset. Uh, that was the, that's the one that I the was only The at, only thing so. I was thinking was uh, egalitarian uh, settings are better for role-playing than settings with a big class divide. No cast system? No, not I, even for the purpose I, I of think, breaking the bonds. I think of it's because well, it's what we're used to. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knows how to be like a surf, a surf, or, or the opposite, lord. or a yeah. lord. Yeah, you, you don't want to do it. 
ancient Egyptian campaign where everybody surfs and one person's the pharaoh? I mean, that would work because unless you you would never see the pharaoh. Or you just played in India. Or you could play in India, in which case, yeah, it'd be bad. That would just be bad. (laughs) It'd be shitty, like in the literal sense. Yeah. That's what I've heard India is like. Lots of shit. They have the plague. They do. Because of all the tax system. Because of all the I'm, shit. I'm reading a book about uh, early Indian history. It's oh, yeah. No, they were cool for a while. <laughs> and then Britain happened. Yeah. Like the Greeks. What happened to the Greeks? They were pretty cool. They spent yeah. a while being cool. Yeah. I had a Greek no professor money. who couldn't for the life of me explain what had happened to Greece over the last 150 <laughs> years. It's like they just turned into Italy's retarded cousins. Like it was, <laughs> it was his job. I was in a class... Don't ask me how I ended up in this class. It was called, um, it was called Greco-Roman Modern Relations. Was this in college? Yes, it was. Oh, nice. Greek <laughs> professor, or no, no, no. It was uh, Greco-Turkish. Sorry, wow. Greco-Turkish relations. What? What? They what had a Greek guy this? and a Turkish guy. Perfect. It was a dual seminar class. Wow, that's awesome. And one guy knew his shit, and the other guy did not know his shit. Yeah, that's disappointing. That is and disappointing. laws has so much potential. <laughs> So much potential. Oh, it was, and Turkey's got it was more fun. to prove. It was, Greece it was, has been let Greece and, has been let resting on their laurels, brother, so to speak. They're proving <laughs> for, uh, it much faster. Long time. <laughs> Do they know the Ottoman Empire was just as big as Alexander's empire? What? Yeah, non-existent. No, I mean now. I feel like I feel like modern Turkey has more to prove than Greece does. Like Greece is in the EU. Turkey wants to be in the EU. Like. Yeah, oh. yeah, but culturally, Turkey's full of cult- brown people, oh, yeah, which is going to make it really hard to be part of the EU. Sure. I mean, that's that's an argument that people Which have is unfair, made. because um, Greece is full of Greek people, and it's in the EU. They're all all of well, they're on the right. Enough. They're on the right side of the Ural Mountains. Uh, it's the main <laughs> thing that Greece has going for them. Like, the traditional continental distinction between Europe and Asia. Like, that somehow doesn't include Russia. Uh, oh, yeah, anyway. Russia. Russia. Yeah, anyway, no, no, it's, yeah, no, they're not that, that whole, like, area is, like, kind of like a clusterfuck when it comes to, like, people, like, trying to think about it. Like, it's one of the, it's one of the interesting things about, like, reading about history is that, like, everything that happens in Middle Asia is stuff that you weren't told about. Uh, and all of it has, like, this huge impact in the places that you were told this about. This is complicated. It's very central, yeah. It's, like, in the right smack dab in the middle of the Eurasian... When was the Mexican-American War? Who cares? Exactly. 1830s. <laughs> right, you are, Ben. <laughs> what ha- Thomas, <laughs> just so you know, that is that is precisely why we know nothing about Middle Asia. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's like late 1830s, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone in Europe's like, what? Uh, that's old news. Um, <laughs> also, Greece is not doing the kind of humans right, human rights things that Turkey is like. Turkey's still trying to suppress its population, so people. Uh, are... Greece is getting there. Don't you worry. Oh, Golden they're they're Golden on their Don's way. Got you covered, buddy. They're on their way up, though. They're they're working towards it. Like Turkey's, anyway, Turkey's foreign trying to get relations away from it. aside. Oh, yeah. let's go damn. around the table one oh. time. Um, Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I have the least experience here with with any tabletop gaming. I mean, I'd be interested Ask in away, trying it at some point if anybody wanted to do a campaign. I guess, but. Uh, just do you want to be a farmer in the 80s sure <laughs> all right that sounds good Dude, it's like agricola and that game's all about being a farmer that is true in the middle ages okay. ben this conversation has made me want to both play and dm again but um <laughs> i don't have time and i'm not with people who would do it often enough but it sounds like fun like i feel like i could restart that mass effect campaign and approach it differently um and have a much better time 
You need a solid mechanical basis for things. Um, but I think I was trying to use an incarnation of the system for that. Yeah, you were. Yeah. I, I believe so. I don't remember how One well, of the ten. I don't remember how well that worked. <laughs> One of the ten, which I got to round out finally with number ten was just a blank sheet of you, paper. You've, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. you got to be very discretionary with the system as a DM. You, it, have, to, you have to rule with a fair hand or not. No, that's what makes it good. No one knows the rules. Yeah. It's got a Kafka-esque like, hey, quality should, uh, to it. What are you going to do? He's like, can I do this? And you would be like, let's see. Yeah, we're going to find <laughs> we're out. We're going to find out. Thomas? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Gaming is, like, all right. It's not the best vehicle for storytelling. I, I would recommend, if you want a DM, just write a book. That's <laughs> <laughs> my I advice. Ac- I actually haven't gotten back into writing. I, I will second that. <clears throat> I write too much for my job, so. Yeah. Yeah. Same. What? What do you I write a lot? What are you guys writing? I write Stuff. journal papers. Uh, on what? Uh, concrete. I mean, yeah, but like, what about Sounds concrete solid. needs writing about? Well, let's see. Uh, hmm, I'll throw out some journal. We don't want to do this right now. No, we don't. Yeah. But I just wanted to know. Uh, what are we talking? Like a thousand words a day? Two thousand words a day? Oh God, no. Oh like, well, then add some more words to your day, man. That's a lot of words, though. Like technical writing is soulless and hurts. Me. Yeah, so <laughs> add some soul in there. Get yourself up to a thousand. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll Make it happen. Think about it. I'll take it under advisement. Yeah. My favorite Alberta. way of saying no. <laughs> <laughs> a pretty technical way of saying no. <laughs> Alberta. Um, role playing games are a lot of fun. I mean. <laughs> like it's as long as you have the right people with you, but I guess that's the case with most things. Yeah. Sadly, yes. life, yes, generally revolves around the people surrounding you. But sir, I think it can certainly be a good way of finding out the type of things that people like and stuff like that. It's a great way of learning about people and what they kind of like to do and the way that they think. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna play and DM more of them. Hopefully, hopefully next time in a Borderlands universe, that's the one I want to DM. Borderlands. There's plenty you can do in Borderlands, I assume. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to play Fiasco until I run it in the ground and hate all tabletop RPGs from that point forward. I think that is the... Um, I think it has basically been the ideal, and I don't see that ending because <laughs> as a psychological phenomenon, you can't actually tell how long you'll like something for, so I'm just going to assume it's forever. And with that, <laughs> that's going to do it for the Machination Log today. Mitchell, Ben, Thomas, Alberto, thank you for being part of this magical journey. Sure you all gain 200 experience points. Woo-hoo. You don't level up. Oh, <laughs> then why did you even tell me? That's does, that, gonna, does that give me any money off? How is much that, gold is that worth dinner? Good morning, everybody. Oh. <laughs>